Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody said amen. Go ahead and clap your hands unto the Lord one more time. God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. 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 Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Uh, several months ago, I felt impressed of the Holy Ghost uh, to, to uh, find time in our schedule to teach a series on worship. And, um, and so a couple of months ago, I, I prayerfully considered the calendar and, and put in some dates um, for a worship series. And it was just uh, God being God that uh, kind of got us into another series on lion encounters. And um, it just so happened that the last service, the last message I preached in that series was a series on praise and worship. Amen. And so just felt like the Lord has kind of catapulted us into this series now and uh, that for a season of time uh, there would be a vein of the Holy Ghost and, a, and a, the moving of the Spirit and the voice of the Lord would want to talk to us about worship. Somebody said amen. amen. And so it is that <clears throat> the vision that God has given this church and the fulfillment that God would desire uh, to become culture in this church begins with this statement, reach up in worship to the one true God. Reach up in worship to the one true God. Every Sunday we end by saying reach up, reach out, reach in. We have felt led of the Holy Ghost to take uh, the next couple of Thursdays. We may even uh, toss in a Sunday. We'll see what the Lord would desire in order to dig into this vast subject called worship. And I mean, no, you could, you could go every Sunday and every Thursday in a year and still not fully capture the essence and the power and the principles of worship. And, uh, but we believe God's going to help us. God's going to help us. Amen. Simply entitled Heart of Worship. I mean, how many want to have a heart of worship? A heart of worship. I believe God's going to help us and he's going to talk to us. Now, there is a, uh, there's a statement uh, that Jesus made concerning worship that has often uh, brought a higher level of seriousness in my mind concerning worship. It's, it's brought a sense of uh, gravity. It's brought a sense of uh, just a, a heaviness, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Uh, concerning worship, when Jesus would say these words in John chapter 4 and verse 23, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers, somebody say the true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Who's he seeking? He's seeking true worshipers to worship him. So if he specifies the fact that he is seeking true worshipers, then that must mean that there must be false worshipers. Am I right about it? Or, you know, and, and when you talk about false worshipers, so many times maybe our, our minds would go to people who are worshiping false gods or false entities or whatever, and we kind of just... Uh, exempt ourselves from that category and we just automatically put ourselves in with the true worshipers. Uh. But how many know uh, 
as worshipers, we can be missing the mark. As apostolics, we can be missing the mark for what true worship really is. And so it is that I don't want my worship uh, to be based on what I think is true worship. I don't want it to be based upon what I think is acceptable worship. I, I, I don't want my worship to be based on maybe what uh, somebody else would say is culture would say, just religion in general would say is acceptable and true worship. I want to know, I want to know that I am hitting the mark of being a true worshiper. I may know it's important. If this is what God is seeking for, I want to be the man God's seeking after. If God is seeking true worshipers, I want to be counted in the group of people that God says that's what worship looks like. That's what worship is supposed to be. Those are the people I'm looking for. I want to be numbered in the group of being a true worshiper. Somebody said amen. And again, how many know that we're only going to know that we are in that group uh, by studying out the word of the Lord, finding from the word of the Lord what acceptable, true worship is all about. And so it is, we're going to get into just a little bit of it tonight. Hopefully, the next several services, uh, the Lord uh, will even give us greater revelation, and I know that he will. So to truly understand what worship is all about, if you've been in church any length of time, uh, uh, specifically this church, you've no doubt heard me mention this in the past, but in order to understand what worship is all about, it's imperative that we understand that our English word worship comes from two words, worth and ship. So from this we see that we only, hear me now, we only worship what we feel has intrinsic worth or value attached to it. That's what we worship. If we feel that it has worth to it, value to it, we worship it. With that understanding comes revelation of the fact that everybody on planet earth is a worshiper. Everybody. You say, well, you don't know my uncle Leroy. I don't need to know your uncle Leroy. He's a worshiper. You say, well, he hasn't been in church for 47 years. Don't matter. He's a worshiper. In the sense that he worships something. Everybody gives worth to something. Everybody gives value to something. Therefore, all of us are worshipers. It could be money. It could be relationships. It could be self. It could be pleasure, fame, possessions. It could be a hundred different things. But everybody is a worshiper because everyone sets something up in their lives as being the thing that they value the most. That makes sense? So the question is this. Are we the true worshipers that God intended and for, that God desired for us to be? For if we are, then that would mean that we value God 
above everything else. Oh, hallelujah. That's how we know, and we're going to dig into this a little bit, but just on a blanket statement, blanket principle, if we value God above everything else, we are a true worshiper. But here's the thing. If you were to ask most, most any Christian if they value God in their lives and if they put God first in their lives, most all of them are going to say yes. If I ask us in the, don't raise your hand, but if I ask everybody in the room tonight, do you value God? Do you value Him first in your life? I would venture to say that almost 100% of the people in the room would say yes. We value Him as first in our lives. But what are we basing that on? Are we just saying it? What are we basing that on? I'm trying to help us now. What are we basing our answer on if we were to say that we value God as being first in our lives? How many know it's got to be more than just something we say? You can't just say you value him first in your life. You actually have to value him first in your life. And how many know it's easier to say you value him first than to actually value him first? So do we base it, if we were to answer, yeah, we, we, we value God first and we put him first in our life, do we base that upon the fact that we come to church? Because how many know you can come to church and still not put God first? Well, I'm in church Thursdays and Sundays. That doesn't mean we put God first. Do, do we base it upon the fact that we've got the Holy Ghost? Because I know some people with the Holy Ghost that don't put God first. Do we base it on the fact that we've been baptized in Jesus' name? Do we base it upon the fact that we're involved in some kind of ministry? So maybe in our minds, the way we think is because I'm doing some ministry, I'm obviously putting God first. But how many know you can do ministry and not put God first? How can we know that we truly value God as being first in our lives and by ascribing to him the highest value of worth that we have to offer? Worth-ship. The highest worth is true worshiper. The book helps us when it gives us this command in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we understand that it's not some pastor telling us to put God first in every area of our lives. You need to put God first in this, that, and the other. It's, not, it's the words of Jesus himself. Put the kingdom of God first, his righteousness first. Therefore, in order to know if we value God above all else, we need, hear me now, we need to take an honest, introspective look into our lives. And I hope this is what this series is going to help us do and understand. We need to take an honest, introspective look into our lives in order to determine if we give our time first to God, our talent first to God, our treasure first to God. 
Don't go getting quiet on me now. For we will give the first and the best of who we are to what we value the most in our lives. How many know that? I've got buddies, just, you know, just to kind of illustrate this. Back in the day, I used to like to golf a little bit. And, and, uh, and I, I had buddies that were like, man, I just don't have time to golf. I just don't have time to golf. Cox, I don't know how, where you get the time to golf. And, and I'm like, well, how much softball did you play this week? Well, I'm in two leagues. You know, play Monday night and Thursday night. You see, it's not, it's not that you don't have time to golf. It's that you don't value golf. You value something else. And because you value something else more than you value golf, then you make time for what you value the most. Am I right about it? And so we give our time and our talent and our treasure to what we value the most. So does our daily conversation show, prove that we put him first? Let's just, let's just take today for example. Did what we talk about today prove to all that would care to see or notice that we put God first in our lives? Did, was anybody able to tell by our actions today that we put God first in our lives? Did we put him first in this day today? Does our lifestyle show we put him first? Does how we live show? Does how we talk show? Does how we dress show that we put him first? His will first in our lives. Does the amount of time we spend with him show that we put him first in our lives? Mm. Do, do the goals of our lives prove we put him first? Do, do the deepest desires of our hearts verify the fact that we put him first? Somebody said amen. Our, our checkbooks and our bank statements evidence Uh, another preacher talking about money. No. Time, talent, treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Your heart is going to be where in the thing and towards the thing that you value the most. Can, can we use our bank statement as evidence, end of the year statement as evidence that God is first in our lives? Oh, Hallelujah. Well, and I just, and you know, I can't, I can't pay, I can't give my tithes this month because the cable bills do. Come on, somebody. What, what is first? What is first in our lives? Do, do we arrange our schedules around Him, or do we arrange Him around our schedules? What's first? If, 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 if he fits in to what we're doing, we'll allow him the slot. But if he doesn't fit in, 
then we'll just kind of say, well, we'll catch you next time. Does he have top priority over everything else in our lives? Is he the final voice in our living? Is he the principal figure in our life, the central being to all that we do and all that we think? In him we live. Him we move. In him we have our being. If he is first, that verse is a reality in our lives that I don't move unless it's in him and I don't go unless it's in him and I don't act unless it's in him and I don't make a decision unless it's in him. He's my counselor. He's my guide. He's my light. He's my fortress. He's my trust. He's my deliverer. He's my direction, my way maker. It's in him. It's in him. Why? Because he's first. He's first. He's preeminent. Come on, Jesus. He's the preeminent being of my life. I value him above all else. There's no other throne in my life other than him. And he alone sits on the throne of my heart. He alone has the heart strings. He alone directs my path. He, his word alone orders my steps. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I only go where he says go. I only do what he says do. I only walk where he says walk. My decisions are not based on what I want. My decisions are based upon what he wants. Why? Because I value him highest above all else. I give him the highest worth. The highest spot. Somebody said amen. amen. He's more important to me or to, to, to have him as value and worth above all else means that he's more important to us than anybody else. We don't go to him third. We go to him first. We don't call everybody else for direction and insight and understanding and then get around to maybe talking to God. We talk to him first because I care more about what he says than what anybody else says. His word is more powerful, more important, more valuable than any other message. His will is weightier than any other imperative. Now, it's, it's maybe easy to amen in principle. But I, I, I want to help us to understand because Back to the original point, if we were to ask all of us, if we put him first, we would all say yes. But I want us to understand that maybe we got, we've, we've got some, some, some we need some instruction. For instance, if we give 50 hours a week to social media and five hours a week to God, what are we saying that we value the most in our lives? Somebody said amen. 
I'm not picking on the social media people. I'm just stating a point. It could be the binge watchers. Binge watch all kinds of stuff, you know, 30 hours a week binge watching. Can't wait to get home because we're going to watch this whatever Tuesday night shows are on. I love my whatever. And we watch all this stuff, hours. But we only give God a few hours of our time on a Thursday and a Sunday. If that's the case, I'm not beating you up. I'm simply asking us to maybe take another look and maybe we shouldn't be so quick to say, yeah, I put God first in my life. Yeah, I'm a true worshiper. Maybe, maybe we should just kind of back it up a little bit and say, God, I might need a little help in this area. If we have problems, or excuse me, if we, if we have no problem being emotionally, mentally engaged to a two-hour movie, but we can't pay attention in a church service. What, what are we saying that we value the most? Man, watching a movie and we're on the edge of our seats. Edge of our seats. House of God, we're yawning. What do we value the most? If we, if we would never think, I know I'm preaching to the midweek crowd, the faithful, the faithful individuals, but if we would never think about leaving work early so that we could get home, but have no problem of walking out of an altar service early, in order to get home? What, what, are, what are we saying that we value the most? We, we would never ever think about, you know, I know work clocks out at five, but I'm just ready to go home. So four o'clock, I'm out of here. I don't care about the extra hour pay. I just want to get home. Most people wouldn't do that. But, but what about on a Thursday or a Sunday when Service is going a little long because we're trying to pray some people through to the Holy Ghost. Or because we got somebody up here that needs deliverance or somebody up here that's a backslider that's trying to pray back through and they're having a hard time with it and they need a little help and a little encouragement and it takes a little time and the individual saying, I just want to get home. I just want to get home. What do we value the most? We read all kinds of books for school or work or pleasure, but we never read the word of the Lord. What are we saying that we value the most? Can we say I'm a true worshiper and I don't read my word? If we push out for work when we're tired but stay home from church when we're tired, what are we saying we value the most? What are we saying? If we don't mind at all giving a, of our talents for a paycheck, but we never use our talents because we're too busy for the kingdom of God. We don't use our talents for the kingdom. What are we saying that we value the most? Listen, I'm not belaboring the point today. I, I'm, I'm trying to just give a few examples of what it might look like so that we can kind of begin to think even, even if none of these apply to us, 
I'm hoping maybe some things begin to go off in our brain a little bit. And we begin to make some applications that, you know what, that illustration didn't necessarily hit home, but man, it sure reminded me of something. I want that in my life tonight. I'm not just preaching to everybody else. I'm preaching to me tonight. I, I don't want to just say I'm a worshiper. I want to be a worshiper. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not belaboring the point, but if we do not understand this concept of placing the greatest value we have to give onto the God of our creation, then we will never, ever, ever understand what worship is all about. Ever. We'll be doing something that's not worship at all. Or we'll be doing it in a very shallow and insignificant way. If we do not understand the importance of placing value on Him that is higher than any value we place on anything else. See, because too many Christians, and I need the Lord's help tonight, too many Christians have a false understanding that worship is about clapping and singing. And they're missing the point altogether. They're missing it all. So when somebody says something about worship, they automatically go, oh, he's talking about this. He's talking about this. He's talking about, huh? And if we're not being true worshipers because we're missing the point because we don't understand what worship really is, then we're not being who God called us to be. And we're not going to be in that number when God is saying, I'm seeking after true worshipers. How many want to be who God called you to be? I don't want to just sit on a pew. I want to be a worshiper. I don't don't want to just be a part of a church. I want to be the worshiper that God called me to be. So I need help to understand what it looks like to be a worshiper. And if it contradicts maybe what I've previously thought, then I want to allow the word of the Lord to check my spirit and a spirit of revelation to come upon me so that I can be a worshiper that God's called me to be. Somebody said amen. True worship is all about placing the greatest value on him. On him. The book would say it like this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Somebody say sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, it was interesting to me, Pastor Ron. It was interesting to me as I was kind of studying this. I, I, I saw something I had never seen here before in, in, a, in a different translation because a different translation of the same verse reads like this. For this reason I make request to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you will give your bodies as a living offering, holy, pleasing to God, which is the worship of It is right for you to give him. Oh, hallelujah. We want to worship right. We want to be true worshipers. 
The word of the Lord is telling us there is a worship that when you do it, it is right. It is the right worship for us to give. Remember, again, we're talking about being a true worshiper. And the book is telling us that the worship that is right for you and I to give requires us to sacrifice ourselves. Is that what it says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The worship that is right, if you will present your body a living sacrifice, then that is the worship that is right for you to offer him. It's not a false worship. It's not a less than worship. It's not a worship that's missing the mark. It is a right, correct, biblically accurate worship. And it starts with your willingness to sacrifice yourself on an altar. Come on, Jesus. Why? Because when we sacrifice ourselves on an altar then that lets him know that we do not value ourselves more than we value him. I sacrifice myself because I have esteemed you as first. My dreams sacrificed because I value what he desires for my life greater. Are we starting to understand that it's more than just? There's power behind it. There's depth behind it. There's significance and structure and there's depth to all of this. That's why you step into some places and they're clapping and they're singing, but you feel absolutely nothing. There's no depth to it because they have an understanding that worship is about a song and it's about a clap, but it's not. Worship is about an altar. It's about an altar of sacrifice that I'm willing to crucify myself, my flesh, because I care more about what he wants My ambitions sacrificed because I care more about what he wants for my future than for what I want for my future. My will sacrificed because I want his will to be done more than I want my will to be done. And that's a whole lot harder than just jumping in a worship service a little bit. So many want worship to be all about singing a nice little song and tapping their toe in church a little bit. But we got to understand that worship has much greater significance and it, it expects greater requirement out of you and I than maybe what we even know. Ooh, come on, Jesus. There's expectations for a worshiper. That's why we can't just be faithful to the house of the Lord whenever we want to and come in and sing a little song and wave our hands a little bit and say we're being a worshiper. Because that is living for God in convenience, not sacrifice. Not sacrifice, convenience. And you, we cannot live for God out of convenience and expect to be a true worshiper. 
Come on, if, if, if being a true worshiper was easy, everybody would be a true worshiper. But the Lord is saying, I am seeking true worshipers, which means everybody's not. Because everybody doesn't want to go to an altar of sacrifice. And everybody doesn't want to crucify their will so that his will can reign supreme. And everybody doesn't want to crucify their desires and their wishes and their wants in order that his wishes and his desires can be made manifest in their life. That is a hard thing to do. Nobody wants to lay themselves down on an altar. Nobody would. Not too many people want to do that. But the Lord is saying for those that are willing to do those things, you're going to be a true worshiper. Hallelujah. Let me show it to you like this. There are certain laws, uh, principles, if you will, that, that should govern us when you study out the word of the Lord and when you study scriptures, there are certain principles. Don't have time to get into them. But there are certain principles that you can use when studying out the word of the Lord. And one of those principles is called uh, the law of first mention. And what that principle is declaring is that when you see something in Scripture for the very first time, whatever truths, insights, understandings, revelations that surround that initial writing of that principle, that word, that whatever it is written first in Scripture, all of those insights and understandings and revelations you will find that they will surround that word in the additional recordings of that word. Does that make any sense at all? Half of you. Whatever it is mentioned first, whatever surrounding it in the text, you'll find that when it is mentioned in another book and in a later date, those same things follow that principle. And with that understanding in mind, I, I want to read to you the first time the word worship is recorded in Scripture. Genesis 22 and 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I want you to notice the first time the word worship is used, it is not in connection to a pretty little worship service. It's not in connection to somebody clapping their hands. It's not in connection to somebody making a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's not in connection to somebody running or leaping or doing any of those things. No, sir, no, ma'am. The first time worship is used in Scripture, it is in connection with God's command for a man to become willing to sacrifice the very thing he loved the most. The first time worship is mentioned, it is in connotation of an altar and a knife and a sacrifice. The first time worship is mentioned, it is referencing God's desire to see if the one who served him would be willing to cut away something that was so close and near and dear to his heart. See, now we're hopefully getting revelation of the power and the importance of 
worship. Because with the law of first mention being put in place, we must also realize that what God defined and that which God surrounded in this context, in the first mention of worship, is still the principles that he surrounds worship with today. It didn't change. It's the law of first mention. It just keeps carrying on all throughout time up until today. And so it is that what he expected of worship in the first worship service, he still expects in our worship today. His expectation of worship has not softened just because our world has softened. His expectation of worship has not lessened just because we've got into some seeker-sensitive movement in religiosity church world where there's no expectation on anybody. He said, no, you can change it if you want. But what I expect from worship and a true worshiper is still what I've always expected from a true worshiper. There's got to be a knife. There's got to be a willingness to separate and sacrifice that which is precious to you because I asked you to do it. Even when you don't understand it even when it doesn't make sense even when you don't understand his ways when he asks you to sacrifice it you say yes I will do what you want me to do because it's not my will it's your will even when I don't know why you're leading me this way I will go that way even when it looks like you're leading me down a dark road I'll follow your hand because I know I have esteemed you as being the one who is most worthy worship is not singing in a pew worship is not playing an instrument worship is not jumping up and down a little bit in the house of the Lord worship is about us and our willingness to say yes to whatever God asks us to sacrifice and whatever God asks us to cut away. We cut it. It was near to us. And it was dear to us. But we get the knife out and we cut it away just because God told us to. And because we've esteemed him and because we've made him the thing that is most worthy in our lives, we don't question, we don't doubt, we don't have rebuttal, we just do it. And then the next Sunday, we walk into the house of the Lord and we lift our hands and he says, true worshiper. kept what he wanted me to sacrifice but I would, I would have exempted myself from being a true worshiper so what is it that we want do we want to keep what we have or do we want to step into the dimension of being a true worshiper somebody said amen uh, I'm, I'm going to keep going but just lift your hands lift your hands Spirit of revelation in the house right now. Lift your hands. 
Open your mouth. Respond to the word of the Lord. I'm not done. Just respond to what he's already been spoken. of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. God is speaking to us. For you see, clapping and singing and jumping and dancing and shouting and running are all biblical, biblical things. But they mean nothing to God if what we value most is not God. We cannot believe the lie from the enemy that's trying to convince us that we are true worshipers simply because we clap our hands on a Sunday. For those things are merely an expression of worship. And how many know that somebody can clap their hands and sing and not value God as being first in their lives? Jesus himself would say it like this. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain. Do they worship me? See, we got to get this. They did all of the things they were supposed to do in a religious setting. They stood when they were supposed to stand. They responded how they were supposed to respond. They acted how they were supposed to act. But God was not valued most in their lives for their heart was far from and Jesus said their worship was in vain. That word, it's interesting to me, that word in vain means zero. Their worship had zero significance in the eyes of the Lord. Were they standing? Yes. Were they clapping? Yes. Were they doing what they were supposed to do? If somebody were to look at them from the outside, they would think they're doing right. They're a worshiper. They know when to stand. They know when to sit. They know when to move. They know how to act. They know what to say. They know when to say it. But the Lord said, your worship has zero significance. Because they did not value the Lord as being the preeminent being of their life. So our dance and our shout and our singing has zero significance if we've allowed something else to rule over our time, our talents, and our treasure. Somebody said amen. So again, I'm not being mean, but please don't think that lifting our hands, clapping our hands, singing church songs, dancing and shouting is what worship is. For those things are merely our expression and our response to the one that we value the most. But if you don't value him the most, 
then none of those things have significance to them at all because they don't have anything. They're not based on anything. It's just a cloud. It's just a song. There's no foundation to the song. There's no foundation to the clap. Oh, hallelujah. See, let, let, I feel like the Lord spoke this to me in prayer. Watch this. You know, we always talk about, Jesus help me right now. We always talk about the walls of Jericho came down because of the shout. Right? They shouted and the walls came down. But, you know, I, I think probably a better way to look at it is, is that the walls didn't come down because of the shout. The walls came down because of their obedience. You tell me how much sense it makes in the flesh to get up every day One time around, nothing happens. We're going back to the camp. Second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. Seventh day, they get a great surprise. Hey, everything you've been doing that has seemingly no effect at all, today you get to do it seven times. Can you imagine on their flesh? Come on, we know how it ends, but they didn't know. And when you read the story, they were never told on the seventh time you're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. They had no idea. They didn't know if it was going to be 400 days they're walking around this thing. They had no clue. And yet they said, we esteem him. <laughs> and we value his word above our own word. And we value him above our own flesh. So I'm going to crucify what I think in order to follow after what he says. And so I'm going to march around this thing even when it don't make sense. And I'm going to, anybody ever done something God told you to do even when it doesn't make sense? Oh, hallelujah. Sister Candy, he wakes you up at night and tells him to, for you to sing to him. Doesn't make sense, but it's because you're a true worshiper. You have to understand. So then, when their life was based upon him being the supreme one in their life, then you add a shout to that, and walls come down. They didn't come down because of the shout, they come down because the shout had a foundation. That's where the significance of the shout brought about walls that could crumble down and victory could be had because a shout had a foundation of obedience to the one that they esteemed as being the preeminent voice in their life. That's what I'm trying to help us understand. If we want walls to come down in this church, if we want things to happen that are miraculous, it's got to be more than just the people that know how to shout. There's got to be a foundation. 
There's got to be a foundation of that shout. And that foundation uh, is a people that say, I put you first in my life. I will sacrifice everything you tell me to sacrifice. I'll get out a knife and I'll cut away everything in my life that you don't want in my life. Uh, and then we step into the house of the Lord. Uh, and then we shout. Uh, and lives are changed. Uh, and marriages are put back together. And addicts are delivered and people are baptized and people walk away saying I've never seen services like that before why was it able to be that way because there was a people that decided I want to be a true worshiper no matter the cost no matter the cost I want my worship to have foundation I want my praise to have depth I want my shout to have a platform on which to move Somebody said amen. So it is. I need to make sure we all understand this principle that we're talking about tonight because everything else is going to be built on this. If you don't get this, you don't get, you don't get anything. It's like the people with holiness. If they don't understand God is holy, then it don't matter anything else you teach them about holiness and separation from the world. They'll never get it. They'll never understand it if they don't have the foundational understanding of God is holy. If they never get that revelation, then nothing else matters. And they'll question everything and fight against everything because they don't have this. And so this is what I'm talking about for worship. You've got to understand this bedrock principle because everything else is built on that. We need to understand. So many times people say, you know, you know, worship, again, worship is outward. Our worship is clapping and singing and loud and jumping and running and hooping and hollering. But you do got to understand, worship is not something that can be seen initially outwardly. True worship starts in the heart. When with our heart we value him above everything else. Psalm chapter 86 and verse 12, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. So we understand that worship, true worship, true worshipers, it starts in our hearts by placing our highest value, intrinsic worth on the God of our salvation. But what's important is that And what we need to understand is that that heart worship does eventually become visible. By how we express that which has already been established in our hearts. So don't, don't leave here saying, well, pastor, you know, he, he's just... He doesn't believe in demonstrative praise and demonstrative worship. You know, he's just about the inward kind of thing. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying you got to have the inward first, or the outward is insignificant, zero. But now watch this. Look at look look again at a well-known portion of scripture, Mark chapter twelve and verse thirty, and 
thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Jesus speaking. Love the Lord thy God with all thy what? So this is where it starts. This is where it starts. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. I want, I want you to notice, give me your minds for just a minute. Our love towards him starts in our hearts when we value him above all else. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will, say, you will keep what I say above what everybody else says. That's love. Love isn't I love you, Jesus. Love is if you love me, don't say it, keep my word. You can tell me you love me all day long, but not keep my word. And if you don't keep my word, you don't love me. You're just talking. Right? So, so, so love starts in the heart because we put him as the supreme being of our life. His word above all other words. But then that love, stay with me. I'm closing. That love will begin to move from our hearts to our soul, which is our feeling and our emotions. <laughs> so first off, we esteem him and we value him and we put him first. And then all of a sudden, we start feeling something. Right? Ooh. Somebody says, well, I just don't feel nothing. Why don't you put God first? Uh, why don't you put God first and see what happens? Because he said it'll start in your heart, but then it's going to move to your emotions. <laughs> and then from our emotions, it's going to move to our minds or to our thoughts. But then it is going to move from our thoughts to our strength or to our physical action or our physical demonstration. See, God knew that there would be something within us that would desire to physically demonstrate our inward reality. That's how he created us. He created us because, and he knew what he created. And he knew for a true worshiper, come on Jesus, he knew for a true worshiper there would be those moments of sacrifice and there would be knives and there would be the cutting away and it would be bloody and it would be horrible and it would be painful but they would be willing to do it and when they did it, something would begin. <laughs> something would begin to birth within them and it would begin to move throughout their emotions. And it would begin to move in their feelings. And it would get into their minds. And now their minds would be stayed upon him. And they would begin to think of the goodness of Jesus. And all that he's done for me. And then eventually that individual would say, I can't sit still. Eventually it would get to the strength. Eventually it would get to a demonstration that you now could see outwardly. But it started inwardly. Therefore, when he created us, he created us with feet that could dance and legs that could run and mouths that could shout and hands that could clap and arms that could wave and voices that could sing and tears that would fall because those physical demonstrations would be what 
shows forth an inward understanding of the supremacy of the God of our salvation. Those things alone cannot be categorized as worship. But when they are acted out in response to a heart that has placed a value on God above everything else, then they absolutely become the very definition of what worship is. So when that person claps, that clap is worship. When that person waves their hands, that becomes worship. When that person jumps, that is worship. The jump itself isn't, but it's got its foundation in something. (sighs) The book... The book would say it like this. Stand, stand, stand. Stand. The book would say it like this. Psalms 28 and 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. I put him first in my heart. I trusted him. He's the preeminent one. I value him above everything else. I trust. And I am helped. Because of that, or therefore... My heart, still here, greatly rejoiceth, but it can't just stay inwardly. And with my song, my heart's inside rejoicing like crazy because of the supremacy of the one who is in my life. But eventually that which is inward has to become outward and I gotta lift my voice and sing a new song unto the Lord. Psalms 57 and 7, my heart is fixed, it is stayed, it is steadfast on the supremacy of who he is. Oh God, my heart is fixed, it is established, it has already established you as being the God of my life and it is not wavering from that reality. And because of that, I will now sing and give praise. But it starts in the, and it expounds. Psalms 111 and 1. Praise you the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. My worship started in the heart. But then in the assembly of the congregation. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. Will be my worship and will be my praise. It's going to start here. It's going to start at an altar. It's going to start with a knife. It's going to start cutting away some things. But then it's going to lead me to the point when I don't have to just worship in the assembly, but when we come together and we worship the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And when we do that, and it's true worshipers doing it together, there is power. Somebody said amen. Amen. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Worship him.
Why don't you bring that to the altar? Bring that to the altar. And hear me as you come. I believe in this series there's going to be times where we're going to run and dance and shout. We're going to do that. But what I believe the Lord is speaking to somebody right now is this. Would you be willing to be obedient to me? Put a knife in your hand and cut away that thing that I've been asking you to cut away for so long. Whatever. The thing that you're giving your time to more than what you give me. The thing you're giving your talent to more than you give to me. The thing you're giving your treasure to more than you give to me. When you wake up in the morning, what do you do? What is the first thing on your mind? Movies, social media, hobbies, sinfulness, weight, whatever, 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 whatever. He said, I'm calling you to be a true worshiper. I'm calling you to be a worshiper that when you lift your voice and you give praise in the tabernacle of the people, heaven responds and heaven opens. And angels take notice of your worship. Heaven takes notice of your worship. Hell takes notice of your worship. That's the kind of worshiper I'm calling you to be. But in order to get there, there's some stuff I've been talking to you about that I want you to cut away. Will you be willing to do that? I know it's a big part of your life. I know it takes up a lot of your day. I know you're drawn to it, maybe even addicted to it. Can't go without it, seemingly. Feeling like your whole world revolves around that thing. And if you take that thing out of your life, there's going to be a vast hole that you do not know what would fill it. And the Holy Ghost is telling somebody, he desires to fill it. He desires to fill it. He wants to take up residence of what you put first in your life. He doesn't want to just be a God that you visit on Thursdays and Sundays. He wants to be the God of your life that sits on the throne of your life and directs everything. I wonder, could you lift your hands right now? I feel a Man, I feel a prophetic utterance. I feel the move of the Holy Ghost. I feel the Lord speaking right now, declaring right now. Relationships that you're in, that you know God is telling you to get out of. Because that relationship has become um, improper, sexual in nature. Fornication is taking place. And the Lord is telling you to get out of that relationship. But you just can't see yourself separated from that individual. You don't know how you'll live. You don't know what you'll do. You're so tied. There's emotional ties. Sexual ties to that individual now. And the enemy's telling you that you cannot. You cannot be divided from them. The Lord is saying, "Will you, if you're willing to do what I'm asking you to do, it's going to put you on a path to be a worshiper like you cannot even imagine. Sataye, 
Itolorobokoto yelararabosata.